Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 9.35 through 10.7 called The King of Compassion and Mission. If you're new to us, we are moving verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew. We've called the larger study the Gospel of the Kingdom. We've been focusing on the Kingdom of God and digging out that meaning and looking at the heart of our King. So we are now in Matthew 9. We're going to start in verse 35 and move to 10.7 this morning. Just a reminder, on Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Hebrews, and we're in uh, the Great Hall of Faith on Wednesday nights. And we are at Moses now, looking at how Moses really, through temptation, stood his ground, followed the Lord, refused to be the called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and suffered with the people of God. That's this coming Wednesday night, and we're learning how to walk by faith, so uh, pray you'll join us for that. So Matthew 9, starting in verse 35, would you stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word? Reading 935 through 107. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, 936, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples. Remember, the original gospel didn't have chapter breaks, so this is kind of how this manifested um, the response to the prayer, if you will. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples, gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip, verse 3, and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can have a seat. Father, as we have read your holy word, we know your word is alive and powerful. It's sharp. And it is able to go to the depth of our being. And as we see your heart of compassion and we talk about the king of compassion and mission, it is our desire to have heaven's eyes and heaven's heart. And each time we gather in your holy name, we know that your spirit moves among us. And one of the things that's happening through corporate worship and the study of the word of God is we are being conformed into the image image of our king into the image of your son. And Paul said, I'm in labor with you in Galatians until Christ is formed in you. Oh Lord, would you teach us to have your heart, 
your righteous heart, your heart of compassion, your heart of love, to have the discernment of to know when we are to employ these different things. And sometimes it can be confusing to us, Lord. And here we're going to look at sheep uh, shepherd imagery, and we are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. We're prone to leave the God we love. Take our hearts, take them and seal them for thy courts above. We lay this time at your feet. May you work in a mighty way. May we have ears to hear what you would say to your people in this hour. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. The king of compassion, the king of mission. Back in verse 35, Jesus was going about, notice, all the cities and the villages. He was teaching That's the Greek word didasko. That is a different word from proclaiming. You can see he was teaching in their synagogues. Let's just stop there for a second. So the ancient synagogue is somewhat parallel to the modern church. In fact, if you do a little homework, the modern evangelical church service is largely modeled after an ancient synagogue service. In an ancient synagogue service, they would sing some hymns, usually based upon psalms. And they would have a Torah reading from the Torah scroll. They'd literally roll out the scroll, as it were. And someone would read the Torah portion. And then there would be a sermon on that portion of the scripture. That still happens in a lot of uh, modern uh, Jewish synagogues and uh, Messianic synagogues as well. And so Jesus did two things in verse 35. One... He taught in the synagogue. Now, in the synagogue, it would be something like this. It would be a bunch of believers who already believe in the God of the Bible, and they would come, and their expectation would be to hear a Torah portion, a reading from the Old Testament, and commentary on that Torah portion. And that's kind of what I think most of you have come for today. And I'm not really going to preach to you so much as I'm going to teach you, and that's our mode here. We have pastors and teachers to build you up. Now, we also have evangelists that are part of the Ephesians 4 makeup of the church. But a typical Sunday morning, I'm not necessarily doing an evangelistic sermon because I look out at most of you and I know you're believers. And if you're not a a believer yet, something's still bound to hit you. So that's good news anyway. And so my job as a shepherd is to feed the flock. And then we go out to the cities and villages, if you will, and we proclaim the good news. Here's the distinction of the two words. Jesus taught in the synagogue, kind of you could say the early church, didasco, and he proclaimed, now the Greek word is caruso. It's a typical word for preaching in the New King James NIV. It actually says preaching the gospel or the good news. So we get taught the the Bible, if you will, we get taught as sheep, we get built up, we get fed, and then we go out into the cities and villages, as it were, and what do we do? We proclaim the gospel. We proclaim the good news of the kingdom. What's the good news of the kingdom? The king has come in the person of Jesus Christ. He has lived in in the very history in which we are embedded. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. He reigns at the right hand of God the Father today. He has a current ministry to all of us, the ministry of intercession. We come to, not to a throne of judgment, but to a throne of grace that we might receive mercy and help in time of need. Amen? 
That's his current ministry. The king is also our great high priest, our great shepherd, and he's ministering to us, and we're part of the kingdom. If you're a Christian, you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And Jesus taught the believers, if you will, those who are already committed to Yahweh, and he proclaimed, verse 35, the gospel or the good news of the kingdom. And in addition to that, as we've already seen, if you've been with us in chapters 8 and 9 and other places, he was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And that's kind of a summary of his ministry. And seeing the multitudes, Jesus saw them with the idea to know them. Seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because here's a metaphor to paint what it looked like to Jesus' eyes and heart. They were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Now, if you're new to the Bible, the Bible uses a lot of agrarian imagery because it was set in a first century context and, of course, before that. So people were used to farms and agriculture and feast days and perhaps owning a farm, working on a farm. There were a lot of shepherds. There were also a good amount of fishermen. So Jesus reached into a metaphor of the time, if you will, a picture of the time that everybody would understand. And sheep without a shepherd is an apt picture of the people. Now, sheep without a shepherd, if I asked you, tell me what you think sheep without a shepherd look like, like what happens to them? You might say, well, they kind of wander. And you know, sheep, we're compared to sheep in the Bible. It's not the only metaphor used for us, thank God. But sheep are not high on the IQ scale, in case you wondered. They will follow one another into open fires. They will follow each other off a cliff. They are not the smartest animals on the planet, and they have no defense. And Jesus saw the people, the multitudes, and remember, in verse 36, that word is a good word because there were thousands of people always around Jesus. In fact, when he was going to try, not to try, he was going to raise the little 12-year-old girl from the dead, on his way, it was so crammed that the woman with the flow of blood touched the edge of his garment, and he said, who touched me? And Peter said, what do you mean, who touched you? Everybody's touching you. It's like sardines in here. But here's what's going on. Jesus always had all these people around him, great multitudes, like being at a rock concert or, you know, just a a very crowded venue all the time. And yet, when he looked at the people, he felt compassion. The, The Greek word is single. Felt compassion is two words in English, but it's one word in Greek. And it's a fun word to say if you're kind of, kind of like to mess around with the Greek language. It's splego nitsomai. All right. So there'll be a test when you're walking out, we're going to ask you to spell splego nitsomai. Now in the ancient world, when they were trying to describe deep feelings like compassion, they, they would say compassion is felt in the bowels. That may be weird to us, but we, we might say something like this, I hate that person's guts. Now, I hope you never say that, especially about people that are sitting right next to you right now. <laughs> but when we use the word guts, that's kind of what we're saying. We're saying, in the deepest part of them, and coming from the deepest part of me, 
I hate them. <laughs> now you might need to repent of that. This is just an illustration. But that's the ancient idea of pity or compassion. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Pastor Michael invites you to watch our recent A Step Closer series with guest speaker Red Pen Logic's Tim Barnett. Believe it or not, if you have doubts and questions about your Christian faith, you're not alone. The recent deconstruction movement phenomenon has a number of Christians rethinking what parts of the Bible they identify with. But is the movement simply about having doubts? If deconstruction is just about asking questions, I'm just asking questions, I'm, I'm going through some doubts, then declaring war on it would be wrong and actually unbiblical. But if deconstruction is about leading people away from historic Christianity, then declaring war on it is completely appropriate and biblical. Pastor Michael invites you to watch our recent A Step Closer series with guest speaker Red Pen Logic's Tim Barnett. Download the free Walk-In Truth app available in your app store today. You can also listen to the first part of this conversation when you listen to Walk-In Truth on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk-In Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Touched the edge of his garment, and he said, who touched me? And Peter said, what do you mean, who touched you? Everybody's touching you. It's like sardines in here. But here's what's going on. Jesus always had all these people around him, great multitudes, like being at a rock concert or, you know, just a a very crowded venue all the time. And yet, when he looked at the people, he felt compassion. The the Greek word is single. Felt compassion is two words in English, but it's one word in Greek. And it's a fun word to say if you're kind of of like to mess around with the Greek language. It's splagonizomai. All right? So there'll be a test. When you're walking out, we're going to ask you to spell splagonizomai. Now, in the ancient world, when they were trying to describe deep feelings like compassion. They, they would say compassion is felt in the bowels. That may be weird to us, but we, we might say something like this, I hate that person's guts. Now, I hope you never say that, especially about people that are sitting right next to you right now. <laughs> but when we use the word guts, that's kind of what we're saying. We're saying, in the deepest part of them, and coming from the deepest part of me, I hate them. <laughs> now, you might need to repent of that. This is just an illustration. But that's the ancient idea of pity or compassion, coming from the deepest part of you. And when Jesus looked at the multitudes, he didn't say, you know what, I'm sick of them. Let's get out of here. Or why can't they just get it together? No, he felt compassion on them. He felt deep pity. One scholar puts it this way. Jesus' heart went out to them. Now, I'm a Christian because Jesus Christ, this is one of the main reasons I've become a believer, entered into my pain. His compassion drove him to a cross. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And he knows how we are. 
We are prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God we love. Prone to get ourselves in trouble. And we need the shepherd. And as I look at our culture today, and you, you may have noticed that after the sheep shepherd imagery, Jesus says in verse 6, if you look ahead, chapter 10, go to the lost sheep of Israel. That's what he saw. A bunch of lost sheep for lack of a shepherd. Now, lost sheep will wander, but they'll do something else. They're more susceptible to a predator. And when Jesus used imagery here, Matthew recording how he felt, he saw them as distressed. Notice the two descriptions here, end of 36. Distressed and downcast. Let me paint the two pictures for you. The word distressed literally means to flay. It's the Greek word skolo, or to harass. It means to be distressed, to be vexed or annoyed, to be troubled. It properly signifies, according to one writer, to pluck off the hair. If it's a sheep, they might be saying, you know, I'm pulling my fur out. If it's you, you might be saying, this week I was pulling my hair out. And some of you don't have a whole lot to spare, so you got to be really careful. But we won't look at anybody right now. (laughs) Distressed and downcast. The word downcast could be rendered dejected, to throw to the ground, to cast down to the ground, to throw away. Uh, The psalmist wrote in Psalm 42, verse 5, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. When we think of the word downcast, think of it literally, think of a casting gaze down. When life is heavy, when maybe we don't have any self-confidence or we're just beat up, our eyes go down. We can't seem to look up at God. We can't seem to make eye contact with others. We're just cast down. And in the sheep uh, shepherd imagery, Philip Keller wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And he took us into the world of shepherds and he said one of the saddest sights a shepherd could ever see is a cast sheep, a cast down sheep. What does that mean? If a sheep rolls over on its back, it can't get back up again without the help of someone, hopefully the shepherd or some well-meaning person, And if the sheep stays cast with its legs in the air, gases will build up in its body and it will actually kill them. And imagine if a predator's coming by and there's a cast sheep. The predator's like, you know, putting the napkin inside their shirt because that sheep isn't going anywhere. And if there's no shepherd around, there's no protection. Jesus is saying that the people of his culture have no leadership. They have no one guiding them. They have no shepherds taking the sheep where they ought to go. When Peter made his tragic mistake on the night that Jesus was betrayed and he denied Jesus three times, he went out and he wept bitterly. He was confident in himself, but he fell hard that night and Jesus told him he was going to fall. But he rose again as a leader on the seashore in John 21, Jesus In one of the post-resurrection accounts, calls Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Three times, remember, three denials, three asks, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And the famous response, then feed 
my sheep. You're going to take this baton now, and even the pain that you've been through, even the failure that you've experienced is going to be part of your maturing, part of you realizing that you can't rely on your flesh. You must rely on the spirit of the, of the living God. Amen? And there's Peter in the first you know, 10 plus chapters of the book of Acts, preaching radically in the same city in which he had denied the Lord. Now he's a lion of the faith. He's not perfect, but he's totally reliant on the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus looked at the people of his day and he saw stress and dejection and his reaction was compassion. And I think that says maybe everything we need to know about our Lord. Because compassion is a synonym for love. He felt a deep empathy for the people. And he didn't just say, ah, well, they'll figure it out or, you know, maybe they'll get it together. No, we're gonna see action associated with the king's heart. Spurgeon puts it this way, and Spurgeon always puts things so beautifully. He says, when Jesus saw the crowd in all ill plight, unfed, unfolded, unguarded, what will become of them? Our Lord was stirred with a feeling which agitated his inmost soul. What he saw affected not only his eye, but his heart. He was overcome by sympathy. His whole frame was stirred with emotion, which put every faculty into forceful movement. He is even now affected towards our people in the same manner. He is moved with compassion, even when we are not, close quote. And we often say, you know, in the Christian community, oh, that I would have the Lord's eyes and the Lord's heart. But it's one thing to say you see what you need to see. It's quite another thing that your eyes move to compassion and a movement of your heart. See, it doesn't matter if we just observe things, but we don't do anything about them. Then we're just on the sidelines. Jesus was moved with compassion. You've been listening to The King of Compassion and Mission, Part 1, on Walk in Truth. That was Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 9.35 through 10.7. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. We would also love to hear from you. You can email Pastor Michael with your questions you may have from his teachings today, or maybe you have a question about something else, or need encouragement, or prayer. Maybe you'd like to share how Pastor Michael's teachings have affected you. You can email Pastor Michael at contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. You can also find our mailing address on walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, as you see Jesus' heart as he looks at the people and sees them scattered, downcast like sheep without a shepherd, and you see his heart, he's the king of compassion, and compassion drives mission. But maybe you would say, you know, for years and years, I have largely been on the sidelines. Maybe you would say, I'm an introvert, it's hard for me to step out, I'm not even sure what my spiritual gifts are. How do I get going in 2024? How do I get off the bench, get off the sidelines? Well, I'll just say this. You're going to have to take a step at some point, right? 
I mean, if you just stand there or sit there and do nothing, nothing will happen. Let's face it. But if you want to take a step, how about taking a reasonably small step? Maybe for you, it's just getting into a Bible study with other people. Maybe for you, it's, it would be at your local fellowship, and I hope you have one, saying, hey, I'm going to raise my hand and help um, teach a Sunday school class. Many churches have teachers and helpers. Maybe you would say, I'm going to help in the parking lot, or I'm going to be a greeter. Boy, that'd be really out of your comfort zone if you're an introvert, right? But maybe that's what you need. Do something to stretch yourself in 2024 so that you can get involved in the mission of the church because the mission, the fields are wide under harvest. We need more people to, to be involved. And I will tell you, I could speak for every pastor, probably of every church around the world. We need more people helping in many different areas. Hey, if we can be helpful for you in any way, you can send us prayer requests through our website, walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Let us know how we can pray for you, if we can be helpful in any other way. And if you'd like to let us know how the program has been a blessing to you, we'd love to know where you're listening, for how long, who you are, how we can pray for you, all of that. Walkintruth.com. We'll see you tomorrow. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 9, 35 through 10, 7, called The King of Compassion and Mission. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.